Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast, hosted by Brian Bisking. Brian started this weekly podcast to give a voice to leaders of our community, to share their story, their journey, and the lessons that they have learned along the way. Brian grew up in a small town outside of St. Louis, where he watched his father run a small business and was always interested in how the leaders in his community got where they are. Whether it's a local business leader, a philanthropist, or a celebrity, these are your STL Leaders. Join us today, where we will chat with another pillar of our community on this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. And now, your host, Brian Bisking. Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast. Today, we have David Singer, owner, CEO of Warehouse of Fixtures. But before we get to today's episode, I want to thank my four great sponsors. First, NWO IT Services, Synchrony HR, Enterprise Bank and Trust, and the Tom James Company. On this week's episode, we welcome David Singer. David Singer is the president and owner of Warehouse of Fixtures in St. Louis, Missouri. He is a passionate leader, creating a company where employees feel valued. Customers are delighted while diverting thousands of tons of furniture from the landfill each year. He believes that great relationships with their vendors, staff, customers, and community are the basis for their success. It is my honor to welcome David Singer to the show. David Singer, welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast. I appreciate you coming on here today and uh, really looking forward to diving in about your past and your career. Honored to be here. I'm really uh, excited, especially based on some of the great, great ones I've heard in the past. I hope I can live up to that standard. <laughs> well, yeah, we've had some great guests on, but I, I think you're a great STL leader and I wanted to wanted to get you on here. Uh, I've known you for quite a while, and uh, so I'm excited to kind of dive in on your background and, and, and where, where it's taken you. So let's start uh, really in the beginning. Uh, talk to us about life growing up, what that was like for you, and your path to owning Warehouse of Fixtures. So I grew up in University City, and around around kindergarten, the, uh, the U-City School District realized that I had more energy than they had time. And they said to my parents that I'd probably be better off going to private schools. So moved to private schools, went to junior high school at Whitfield, high school at um, Country Day. Really great experience there, great academic and uh, a great group of students and, and their parents. And having access to those uh, those parents was really useful to me later in my life and having access to a bunch of really brilliant people that in my friends was uh, also very, very useful. I went there on scholarship for wrestling, even though I was terrible, <laughs> really bad. But it was a, a wonderful experience that prepared me for college. So I ended up going to Brandeis in Waltham, Massachusetts, spent a year in Israel doing a study abroad program, which was also a great experience for for my business career because it helped me learn to negotiate. Sure. You find that in the United States, uh, people are very afraid to ask for a better deal. If you're in a marketplace in Israel, 
the, the price starts at 200% of what you should pay and you have to negotiate your way down. I think also going to school in the Northeast was helpful because it prepared me to deal with a, a bunch of different types of people versus just staying in the Midwest like I, I might have done. So why do you think that is? Why do you think us here in the United States uh, don't negotiate maybe as well as, I mean, look, if you go to Mexico, same, same, similar philosophy, right? You go to Mexico and you try to buy something that's always, you can always try to negotiate them down or two for one or anything like that. So why, why do we not do that? You know, I think it goes back to us being a country that was founded from um, Englishmen. And they tend to, as a culture, it's frowned upon. It's, it's looked down upon. It's uh, looked at like you have less class. Mm. And in other cultures, it's, it's valued as a virtue. And we see it all the way from, from our kids, right? You, you just had your first, your first yep. child. Yep. Little, little, little girl, little boy. Little girl. Little girl. Okay, so you'll learn right around when that child is old enough to talk that children are naturally some of the best negotiators in the world. They are so good at negotiating and manipulating and getting what they want. And we as a culture beat that out of our children. You know, you, you're going to teach your, you're going to be encouraged to teach your child not to negotiate for what they want. Yeah. And that's something that we've, I've actually encouraged in my seven year old is that he be always looking to make the best deal that he can, which takes a little bit more time and isn't as much of a top-down management from a parental style, but he gets he gets the best deal he possibly can, and he's <laughs> a really good negotiator. That's too funny, that's too funny. So tell us about Warehouse of Pictures. Tell us about your organization. So I graduated college in 2004, and uh, growing up, my grandfather had a business called Warehouse of Fixtures that sold new and used office furniture and new and used store uh, store fixtures and new and used warehouse equipment. And by the 1970s, 80s and 90s, it was a big business. It was doing really well. And I always very much respected him. My father uh, never went into that business. He was an attorney, uh, still is an attorney. And so I had a he practices on his own. He had his own firm. So I got a feeling for what it was like to be an entrepreneur. And he was in personal injury, which I don't know what you know about being an attorney, but if you practice on your own and you're a personal injury attorney, you work on a contingency. So right. there was a real cycle of a lot of money coming in and then no money coming in for a while. So I got a feeling for, for that level of risk and actually was intending to be an attorney, but I had so much respect for my grandfather's business that I always thought, wouldn't it be cool to do that? However, by the time that I graduated college in 04 and came back to St. Louis, my grandfather had been dead for six years. The business had failed. Our family had this large warehouse right next to St. Louis University that was directly next door to Humphreys Bar, which used to be a blast. I missed that one. Yeah. And uh, they had a lot of stuff left in it because he'd owned the warehouse for 30 years. They had the property under contract to developers, so it was going to be sold. But the, the process of closing took a long time. So 
in that summer where I was getting ready to go back up to Boston and take a gap year from uh, from school before I went to law school, I decided, asked my family if I could liquidate some of the assets in there and, you know, split split the profits with my family for for fun money over the summer. And I did that and I got to meet such neat people. And at that point in my business, I had no idea about office furniture. I had no idea about business. I had no idea about anything, but people would just kind of wander in and we'd negotiate for whatever piece of furniture or fixture was there. They'd say, what do you want for this? And I'd say, well, what are you willing to offer? And, and there ne the negotiation started. So I really liked what I was doing and it was getting to the end of the summer and people were asking me, hey, where do we go after you're gone? So I did a little research. I, I went around to some of the competitors that were doing used office furniture and I really didn't feel like any of them were doing it right. They had a... Uh, not a very client centric model. They didn't have a good retail presence. Their locations were in not so good areas. So I thought here, there's a hole in this market and there's a room for someone to do something. Yeah. I just don't know if I'm the right person. And after a lot of soul searching, I, I felt like I could always go back to law school if it didn't work out. But if I didn't take that opportunity at that time, it would be gone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, go ahead, Brian. Well, no, I was just going to say it. You know, sometimes, sometimes taking that risk can be uh, a big payoff. It can be, and you know, when you're when you're young like I was, I think I was 23 or 24. The the risk of it not working out was so low, versus the payoff if it did work out. I will say that the first five, six years in business were a huge learning curve. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. So I brought on a couple of partners to help me with that. And they uh, they filled in the gaps where I didn't know in terms of business and in terms of administration. So, so let, me, let me ask you this. So I know that was how I got started. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So I know leadership and um, growing the business and strengthening the business has always been a, a priority of yours. Talk to me about how. I mean, you just you just mentioned that a little bit, bringing in some partners in the organization. Talk, but talk to me about how you continue to grow uh, grow your knowledge on leadership and and really strengthening your uh, your knowledge base on growing your business. So I uh, like like I said earlier, I am. I wasn't very good in school, partially because I'm dyslexic, so I struggle reading. But five or six years into the company, I, I discovered Audible. And Audible, I was able to listen to books while I was doing other things, working in the warehouse or doing whatever. Because when we started, it was, you know, it was three of us. There were there were no employees. So we were doing all of the labor, all of the deliveries, everything. And there was a lot of times where I was doing things that didn't require my full attention so I could listen to a book while I did it. That really helped me. Um, and also, we would I would uh, call friends of mine's parents that I knew had businesses and ask them questions and come away feeling really stupid and then f 
fill in the knowledge gaps that I knew was miss were missing. Uh, eventually, I got active in some not-for-profits and some business groups, um, entrepreneurs organization in particular, and that was such a great learning experience for me to meet people that were doing what I was doing or had already done what I what I wanted to accomplish and surrounding myself with those types of people. Yeah, absolutely. I think surrounding yourself with, uh, you know, people like that always can help you learn more and grow, uh, you know, personally, but as, as an organization. And I also know you're a big networker. I know you, you know, me and you have networked previously in the past. So talk to me about networking and really what's your strategy on networking. Okay. So I have two different strategies on networking. Uh, the first one is for business specifically to develop business. And with that strategy, our business is based around a few things and figuring out and, and mostly we're called in when someone is moving. So I determined that if I talk to people that were talking to my clients before I did in the process, that they could introduce me to the people that I needed to know. So those people are movers, architects, interior designers, installation companies, commercial realtors, and um, you know just basically anyone that was involved in that process before I was. So I focused most of my networking on meeting people like that. Now, recently, as you said, I'm, I'm interested in leadership and running a better organization. So I diversified my networking in that I'll meet with people that I consider to be great leaders or really great people just to learn what they're doing and figure out uh, ideas from them, bounce ideas off of each other. And the other group of people I'll meet with is people that are younger in their career that need, need a helping hand, mentorship, experience share, that kind of thing to help them because there were so many people that helped me. Well, and I think, you know, I can I can attest to this, right? I, I, I probably met you, I don't know, five, six years ago. Um, and you took time out of your day to go grab lunch with me. Um, and you've always been uh, open to talking with me and giving me advice uh, on a variety of different topics. And so I think that's one piece that makes you such a great SDL leader is, um, is you give your time back to our community in a variety of different ways. And um, to that point, helping other people I think is a, is is what makes a good leader a great leader, um, and so for myself, I I appreciate you doing that and, and thank you for that. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. You know, the the thing that I think is really separates people in St. Louis in particular because we're such a small community. The people that really are tremendously successful are community involved. Yeah, agreed with that. And that's a two-part thing. You're involved in the community to help the community, right? Yeah. That That's the primary function. But you're also meeting other people that are involved in the community that are very successful people. And we as human beings like to do business with people that we know and like. Right. So those kind of activities help build your business build your profile in the community and also do great things for the community. So I would highly encourage anyone that, you know, wants to be 
a leader in the community to get active as early as possible. Yeah, agreed. And now for a quick break, we bring in our sponsor, Enterprise Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Enterprise Bank and Trust knows that every business and every person is unique. That's why they get to know you in a way that the large financial institutions don't. They are our banking partner here at the STL Leaders Podcast, and I highly recommend that you check them out. To learn more, visit enterprisebank.com. And now, back to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. Let me ask you a quick question. Uh, I I saw that you posted on LinkedIn earlier this week uh, a little story about somebody that you had met, um, and then I don't want to take the story away, but basically they sent you a thank you card in the mail. Talk to me about that experience. So this was, um, her name is Chris Hoffman, and she was previously the head of sales at Color Art. And we connected on LinkedIn. She she sent me a LinkedIn request, and I accepted and said, hey, I've heard great things about you in the market. And she uh, she sent me a nice note back. Well, for one reason or another, she's um, no longer at Color Art, which was a big deal because she was their uh, VP of sales. And I reached back out to her and said, hey, you know, we had talked about getting together. It'd be great if we could do that. And we went to breakfast together. And what a neat lady. She um, she basically helped build two or three of the local dealerships here that are now the most successful dealerships. She's been um, very community involved and shared so much knowledge with me about what she had going on. And we spent an hour and a half breakfast together and she was nice enough to to give me that time. I actually missed a meeting that was right afterwards because I was having so much of a good time uh, talking to her and learning so much. And at the end of the meal, we agreed we'd reconnect and maybe, you know, in, in the next few months because she was going to take some time in Florida. And we had talked about design and our love for design. And I have a, a deep love for Eames, Charles and Ray Eames, who were like Steve Jobs before Steve Jobs was around. They were just the coolest design people that you could ever imagine. And they designed these pieces that uh, you see every day and are constantly knocked off and they really designed for everyone. So maybe a day or two afterwards, I someone came into my office and handed me a book with a note on it. And it was a note from Chris. And she said, you know, I really enjoyed our breakfast together and thanks so much for taking the time. And the book was basically a coffee table book of Charles and Ray Eames. So when someone does something like that on a follow-up, it, sh- it shows that they uh, appreciated the time and it also shows that they were listening because the book that she gave me was a uh, was directly related to the conversation we had and directly related to my interests. And that took what was a great experience and someone that I had a tremendous amount of respect to, to, a, to another level. Absolutely. And, you know, that's as as leaders and as just people doing things like that for for people, for other people makes makes them feel really good. And they say that you don't remember so much what someone said, but how it made you feel. And I felt 
I, I got that book and had this moment of delight and I was on a phone call and I started looking through the book and realized I wasn't paying attention to the phone call. So I had to put it down. Well, no, I think it's just I, I saw that on LinkedIn earlier this week and I thought, what a cool story, just because to your point, it uh, it really it really impacted not only the conversation you had with her, but kind of how you felt afterwards. And I think there's something to be said about, you know, meeting great people and great leaders and then writing a little handwritten thank you note and putting it in the mail to them rather than just sending an email or something along those lines. And so I thought it was a neat story and I wanted to share it. So let me transition a little bit to uh, to kind of really St. Louis uh, as a whole. I know you're pretty well connected here in St. Louis um, and you touched a little bit on, uh, early on, on this on how you stay connected here in St. Louis by being involved in our community. But what would be a piece of advice you'd give to somebody listening to this episode if they were trying to get more connected and more involved in our community uh, and get more connected with people in our community? What would your strategy be? So there there would be two things. One of the things that I think is the most important is getting active in not-for-profits. So I got active with uh, the Jewish community really early on because I am uh, Jewish and was active on their young professionals board and got active with a couple of the charities within that community and met a tremendous amount of people that were the type of people that I needed to be meeting other people that wanted to be successful or were already successful and just knowing those people has been beneficial so the other group I got active in outside of the Jewish community was the foster and adoptive care coalition and tremendous tremendous group that does great work to help improve the lives of foster children and foster parents and being active in that group i've gotten to meet uh, cfos of the major corporations of st louis all kinds of really awesome people and you sit in these meetings with these very very smart people and you realize and this is what what drives me i want to sit at tables full of people where I feel like I'm one of the dumbest people in the room <laughs> because it drives me to be better. So that's not for profit involvement. The other thing that I did is I joined the Missouri Athletic Club, uh, you know, a, a club or a country club. They seem elitist, but they're only elitist if you don't want to be involved. Most yeah. of these places would be happy to have young people in, involved and I got active in a couple of the clubs within the club, and that connected me with some uh, some people in the downtown community where my business is located. I'm in Midtown, but uh, people in the city. And that also brought me into some political involvement where I'm not particularly involved with any one party, but I'll support candidates. We as an organization um, have donated furniture to campaigns on both sides well we really lend it because they give it give it back afterwards but helping to facilitate the democratic process and knowing those politicians in the city was also really useful uh, when we needed to get things done yeah not that we got special treatment but the the leaders in the city recognized us as other lead as people that were community involved and we oftentimes knew who to call if there was an issue. Absolutely, absolutely. So let me ask you this, you mentioned Audible earlier uh, and uh, how you utilize it to help gain knowledge. Uh, are there any books that you've read or listened to on Audible that have helped guide you in your career? So, yes. 
Many. Uh, so I listen to mostly nonfiction, and the books that I lead, I listen to are books about psychology, books about historic leaders, and books about business. And the the one that I read most recently that made a big difference for me was No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings. Okay. Reed Hastings runs Netflix and a, a brilliant, brilliant guy. And I had read his uh, co-founder's book, Mark Randolph's, and it was really useful to me because they went through the tech bubble burst and they had to cut their company by 50 to 80% and get really focused. So when coronavirus hit and we had to make cuts, I knew I knew a lot about what that felt like because they shared that experience. And that was extremely useful to me recently. The books that I listened to initially that really helped on sales, um, I love Zig Ziglar. I don't know if you've ever listened to any of his stuff. He's a rah-rah sales guy. Yep. Uh, when you're first getting started, having someone like that to get you pumped up was great. The uh, the other book that was really helpful in the beginning of my career was Never Eat Alone. And that's a book about networking. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of Zig Ziglar. I've, I've listened to uh, books of his. I've listened to some podcasts where people talk about his. And from a sales guy like myself, it's, they've been they've been very helpful. I also had a a uh, friend when I worked for a previous organization who was a, a Zig Ziglar coach and um, just, yeah, just a great, great guy, great guy. So let me ask you this, uh, just to kind of end out the show, I always ask this kind of same question at the end, but um, for you know people listening to this podcast, listening to this episode, what is one piece of advice you would give them if it comes to life in general or leadership or running a business or trying to kind of grow as an individual? I think the biggest thing, for for me and the biggest thing that I've learned through reading and the biggest thing I've learned through talking to successful people is go for it. You know, there are people that ended up in situations that were impossible situations and they they didn't put their head down and give up. They took shots. One of my mentors, Mike Steinberg, talks about buying a shopping center and he bought this shopping center and the day that he closed, his largest tenant said, hey, I'm going to um, I'm going to move out. Well, that screws up the whole deal because the financing is based on the tenants. So Mike walked across the street to another uh, another store that was exactly the same as his tenants and said, hey, I have this opening. It's a better space than yours for this reason. You should you should move over. And they did. And had he been woe is me and put his head down, he wouldn't have done that. The other thing he did that was really interesting is uh, he called on Sam Walton. You know, he's, he's a nothing real estate agent in St. Louis, Missouri, and he calls on Sam Walton and says, I have an idea for you. And he gave Sam Walton an idea that started a relationship with Sam that helped build his career. So not being afraid to take those chances and not being afraid to uh, to lose. A lot of people play it safe, and it's hard to hard to win when you're playing not to lose. 
Absolutely. Well, I think it goes back to the beginning of this episode when we talk about you, you know, thinking about going to be an attorney and then you took a risk and to take over the, you know, the family business and, you know, obviously that's paid off for you. And so I think it, I think that's some great advice to anybody listening to this episode is, you know, uh, don't make, you, it's, it's okay to make, take risks and, and be take calculated risks and, and you never know where those can lead you. I, I took a risk when I started this podcast and had no idea kind of how, where it would go or how it would go or what the, what the return on it will be or what the, uh, you know, how many people would listen to it. But, you know, we're, we're eight months in, we're averaging 500 people a month listening to this episode or these episodes. And so uh, that was a risk for me and I took it and it's paid off. And so I, I think that's great advice, David. So on behalf of the STLers podcast, I thank you for coming on here today. I thank you for what you're doing for our community uh, and being a great STL leader. Thanks, Brian. Really honored to be on. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the STL leaders podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode with Kelly Bamer, number one realtor in St. Charles County.